Have you ever felt like there was no hope? Have you ever felt hopeless? If you ever take time to watch the news, then the answer is probably yes. No matter which news station you're watching, all of them tell you why there are many reasons for there to be no hope. The only difference is the enemy and the, whatever it is that you are fearing changes. This morning, we're starting our Easter series entitled, Waiting for Resurrection. And I've called it that because for many of us, hopefully for all of us, really deep down, what we are waiting and longing for is the resurrection. Not just the resurrection of Jesus that we'll celebrate on Easter next week, but we are longing and waiting and praying and hoping for our own resurrection. For the time when Jesus will come again, when death and pain will cease, when, as Romans speaks, what creation itself is groaning and longing for. That's what we're going to speak on this morning. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 21, kind of verses 1 through 8. And we're going to talk a little bit, not just about the final resurrection, but we are going to speak about hope. Because in this passage, what we find is really part of the center and the locus and the focus of where our hope is. So I'm going to invite um, Jan to come up and read this passage for us this morning um, and pray for us, and then we are going to launch into it. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about what is this final resurrection, we're going to talk about what it's going to be like, and we're going to talk about who gets to partake. So if you'd open your Bibles with me. New earth, the first heaven and the first earth had disappeared, and so had the sea. Then I saw New Jerusalem, that holy city, coming down from God in heaven. It was like a bride dressed in her wedding gown and ready to meet her husband. I heard a loud voice shout from the throne, God's home is now with his people. He will live with them and they will be his own. Yes, God will make his home among his people. He will wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there will be no more death, suffering, crying, or pain. These things of the past are gone forever. The one sitting on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write down what I have said. My words are true and can be trusted. Everything is finished. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give water from the life-giving fountain to everyone who is thirsty. All who with the victory will be given those blessings. I will be their God and they will be my people. But I will tell you what will happen to cowards and to everyone who is unfaithful or dirty-minded or who murders or is sexually immoral or uses witchcraft or worships idols or tells lies. They will be thrown into that lake of fire and burning sulfur. This is the second death. Hmm. Father, thank you so much for your word that gives us hope and also gives us instruction. I just praise you so much for the opportunity to read your word today and to 
to listen to the, uh, the anointed word that comes from David's mouth. We just pray your blessings upon each one here. In Jesus' hmm. name, amen. Thank you, Jan, for reading that. I'll be honest, um, I, my heart is strangely heavy this morning, and I, I feel weird, and maybe this is just my weird charismatic background, um, so you'll forgive me for that, but I can't help but feel that there's some kind of spiritual warfare, warfare going on in, in my own heart this morning, and part of that, I think, is because the enemy wants to do everything it can to keep our eyes off of our hope. He wants to do everything he can to keep us focused here instead of what we should be focused on and the hope that we do have. So this morning, our, our first point where I want to start is to, I want us to see how the resurrection of Jesus points us towards the final resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus points us towards the final resurrection, and this is part of our hope. And this is why eschatology is significant, or the, the study of the last things, or the end times, or the study of Revelation as a book for that matter. It's significant not because it gives us all of the answers for how everything is going to happen, although some will tell you they have those, but it's significant because this is our hope. Because of not how it tells us how we get to the end or how it will all work, but it tells us what the end will be. And we can have hope because of that. And Christians will disagree plenty about eschatology, right? Even in this room, there will be plenty of different opinions on when this or that will take place or how this verse or that verse comes about. Even you'll learn later on maybe that how even Pastor Brad and I have differences on how we see eschatology, but all of us will agree on the most important thing, and that is where our hope is. That is that Jesus wins. Jesus wins, and when the end comes, however it gets there, however it will be, and we could all be wrong, what we will not be wrong about is that then will come the final resurrection that death does not have the final word. Death is not the end for any of us. We can be confident that this is true. And we need this confidence because death comes for all of us. Death comes for everyone that we have ever known or ever will know. There is none of us, apart from unless Jesus returns, will escape death. It may find us this afternoon. It may find us in moments. It may not find us for many years or many decades to come. But all of us know we will die one day. We spend a lot of time and energy avoiding that fact. We spend a lot of money trying to not think about it, trying to distract us, trying to maintain and keep our life and not think that, you know what, yeah, eventually we all will die one day, but that will come. However, if our faith is in Jesus, death is not the end of our story. And so this passage, as we look at it, it gives us a glimpse of what the final resurrection and what the future will be like. And this is what Easter, that we'll celebrate next week, points us towards. 
See, in verse 1, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The world as it is now is going to pass away. It will fade. It will dissolve like snow. And it will not be the same. And it's not just the earth that will pass away. For many of us, we, we can clap and celebrate that one, right? There are days that we long and say, come Lord Jesus, uh, burn it with fire, start it again. That sounds good. We are messed up down here. There's plenty that is going wrong. But you notice it's not just the new heavens, it's not just the new earth, it is also the new heavens. The heavens will pass away. Why? Because something better is coming. Something better is coming along. And we, we know that this is true. We can have hope in the final rex, resurrection because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because His resurrection points us towards this. The resurrection of Jesus in the empty tomb that we have sung about on Easter Sunday, His return from death is like a down payment on our future resurrection. You know, whenever you take out a, a big loan, or it's on a car, or you've had to buy a house, which you did recently, usually what you need is you got to have a down payment, right? you got to prove to the bank that you have the capacity to pay this off, that the promises that you're making in those pages after pages after pages of things that you're signing, that you are going to be able to back up those promises, what happens on Easter is not, the, not just that Jesus purchases our salvation and He does that, but also He makes a down payment proving, I can defeat death. The final resurrection that comes for you, you can trust that that is true because I'm going to beat it right now. Scripture talks about it, especially in 1 Corinthians 15, is His resurrection being the first fruits from the dead. It is foreshadowing of our own coming resurrection. We can know and we can have hope that we ourselves will experience resurrection. Why? Because our God is not dead. Because He defeated death. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, there, there's a lot with new Jerusalem that we're... That's, the rest of the chapter, I'm not even going to attempt to cover this morning. What I want us to see is John paints this, this new world, this new resurrection, and what it will look like and what it is as like a bride coming down the aisle to her groom. It's a beautiful metaphor and a picture of a lovely, beautiful wedding. That's what this will be. And the connection that we have here is a reminder that Jesus has defeated death. He has defeated death. Not just for Himself, but for all of us. One day, death will seem like a bad dream. One day, death will seem like nothing but a memory. And it will pass from our minds and we will, ever, we will forget that death even existed. So that, that is our, our, our future. That's part of it. Jesus points to this. But what is the final resurrection like? Number two, if you're taking notes, the final resurrection is better than we could ever dream. 
The final resurrection is better than we could ever dream. We don't get a clear picture of exactly what life will be like in the new heavens and the new earth. We don't know all of the details, but we get a few details, and these details are all that I need to tell me that it's better than I could ever dream. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is God's throne speaking. Saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people as God himself will be with them as their God. In the final resurrection, one of the things that we get is we get to be with God. That God is actually there. God will be moving into the neighborhood. The dwelling place of God. You can swing by God's house and see how He's doing. You can ring the doorbell and be invited in to the throne. Why? Because He dwells with us and with man. This, this word dwelling is significant. It's the same word used to describe the tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God's presence manifested and dwelled in the Old Testament. It's used to describe the Holy of Holies, the place where the tabernacle would sit. That place in the Holy of Holies that none of us Gentiles in this room could ever dream of getting within hundreds of yards from. That was the dwelling of God. The place where in the days of Moses they would see the fiery cloud descending over the tent. Symbolic of that is God's presence. There He is. He's with us. And in that, in that place, it was so holy that the Ark of the Covenant, a priest named Uzzah, when the box was falling, he tried to grab it to keep it from hitting the ground, and God struck him dead. Because we can't be that close to God's dwelling in those days. And the Ark of the Covenant would go in the Holy of Holies in that place, and in that place, only the high priest could go in that room. And he could only go in there once a year. And before he went in there, they had to do all of the purification and all of the confessing. He had to make sure he confessed every sin ever, not just his, but all of the nations. And they would tie a rope around his waist and put bells on his body so that if God struck him dead, they could get his body out because they didn't dare go in there. And even that man could only go in there once a year. That's because why? That's where God dwells. Yet... All of those things were just types and shadows and pale representations of God's final dwelling. And in the final resurrection, God will dwell with us. Not in a box. Not behind a curtain that only one person gets to see. But He will dwell with man and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them. He will be with you. His true presence will be there. He won't be in a room far away somewhere. He will be everywhere. Have you ever been in a room where you, you felt God's presence immediately? So you think about the time maybe that you felt God's presence the most strongly. Remember, maybe you walked into a, a room or a place and it just felt heavy. You felt like you got smacked with God's presence. 
and the peace, the, the wonder, the, the awe-inspiring nature. You, you just knew God was there. Okay, that feeling that maybe you've, you've felt maybe a handful of times in your life, like that with that strength and intensity, that is what it's going to be like in every room and every place for all eternity in the final resurrection. Why? Because God is there and He is dwelling with us. It won't just be a few moments when you, you really are doing good, when the music is really pumping and it's your favorite song. You will feel God's presence like that when you wake up in the middle of the night. You will feel God's presence like that when you open your door and step out to begin your day. You will feel God's presence like that when you sit down to have a meal with friends. God's presence will totally surround us. Why? Because He will dwell with us. And we get to dwell with Him. In the final resurrection, this won't be a special thing, but this will be every second of our lives forever. God will dwell with us. Every second we will be wrapped up in the love and the peace that comes from being in the presence of God. And not just God will be among us, but Jesus will be there. Jesus will be there. He'll be walking around. You can go see Him. He can come over for dinner. You can talk about your day and He can laugh at a joke that you told. You can sit at His feet and you can ask Him anything you've ever wanted to know. So you will be able to put your hand in His side and in the scars on His hands like Thomas did. You'll be able to look at His back and see the scars from the whip that He bore for you and for me. You will see above his eyes the scars on his brow from the crown of thorns. You will be able to look Jesus in the eyes. And you will see him look at you and listen to you. Really listen to you. Not just look beyond you because he's looking for someone more important. You will be able to talk with him and see Jesus love you. You will hear him say he loves you from his own lips. Because he will dwell among us. You'll be able to ask him what he told the two men on the road to Emmaus. Hey, what did you, when you walked through all of the scriptures and told them all how it points to you, can you do that for me? You can ask him every question you've ever had. We won't have to disagree and fight about theology anymore. We can just go to Jesus and ask him to tell us what he really meant. Because Jesus will dwell with us. We are called His people and He is our God. This is trying to show us how near God will be. He will not be distant or far off. He will be right there among us. We'll be living in God's house. Verse 4 is probably one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. When this day comes, when the final resurrection comes, all pain and all suffering and all death will disappear forever. 
I love the picture it paints at the beginning of Jesus and God himself wiping the tears away from our cheeks. As a young father, my days typically involve wiping away many tears from at least one of my son's faces, sometimes both of them, for a myriad of reasons. Sometimes they're mad because it's nap time, or they're mad because they have to share a toy, or they're mad or really are sad because they've fallen and hurt, them, hurt themselves, and they need a hug. And so as their dad, because I love them, I, I wipe away their tears and tell them it's okay. Jesus will do that for all of us one day. God will pick us up and wrap us in his arms and wipe away the very last tear that ever leaves your eye or falls down your cheek. God himself will do this. And death, death will be no more. No more death. You never have to wonder when that day will come for you. No longer will anyone that any of us love will die. No longer will we have to watch as dementia and Alzheimer's slowly steal away our loved ones. No longer will we have to watch as those we love get older as their bodies break down and have to wonder and almost long for death because we want their suffering to end. Those days will be over. No longer do you have to fear a phone call in the middle of the night because you're scared someone has had an accident. No more will we have to wonder for some scary diagnosis from a doctor. So there will be no more cancer, no more sickness, no more death. Death will be finished completely. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying. There will be no more grief, no more pain. There's two kinds of pains there to think of. The first is to think of all the, the emotional pain. Think of the wounds, the, the grief that you carry, the, the things in your own life, the things you've experienced, the, the heartbreak whether your own, your family's, all of that will fade. No longer will there be something when you think of it brings you to tears because it's too painful. There will be no more mourning and no more grief. There will also be no more physical pain, no more skin knees, no more paper cuts, no more headaches. No more pain that the doctor can't figure out what it is. No more chronic pain that you wake up with every day and there it is again. And no one can do anything. No more pain medication. No more things you can't do that you used to be able to do. All of that will fade away. No more pain. No more things that burn you. No more pain at all. All of it will pass. For the former things have just passed away. They've disappeared like vapor or like the morning fog has lifted. And we can know 
the, the, this resurrection, that it is greater than we could ever dream. Okay, that's enough for me. I don't need to know what I'm doing after that. Okay, I, maybe you do, but for me, sign me up. That sounds pretty good. I, I'll take it. Whatever I'm doing after having no more pain, no more death, no more suffering, no more anything negative at all, I'll take it. Anything after that is gravy. And I think that's why that's all Jesus tells us this is. That's all we need to know. And if he gave us more, it's better than we could ever dream. We couldn't even comprehend it. Get to be with God all the time and there's no more suffering anymore. That's better than I could dream. And we can know that this wonderful future is coming. It is not a mirage. It is not a dream. It is not some utopian vision some author made up. It's not something fancy that can only be found in science fiction novels and television. It's not the invention of pastors or great orators. This is a reality that we can trust if we have put our faith in Jesus is coming. And the resurrection is coming, beloved, for all of us who have put our faith in Jesus. And why can we trust it? Verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And also he said these words, write this down, and these words are trustworthy and true. It says, God himself speaking from the throne, says, first of all, I'm making all things new. So it's not just our bodies that he is making new. Whatever that will look like and whatever that will be, he is also renewing all of creation. Every created thing, everything that we see will be made new. Everything on earth will have that new car smell. Or maybe smell better than that, I don't know. Maybe you don't like that smell. But things won't be broken anymore. There won't be soil that's unsuitable for gardening. Your home won't slowly decay as you fight to keep up with all the projects to keep it new and nice. The only, or you won't find thing after thing that needs to be fixed. The only things that will be there are new things and perfect things and beautiful things. Everything that our eyes see will be beautiful. You think of if you've traveled to maybe your favorite place in the world to be in nature. For me, it's Colorado, up in the mountains. And so picture that for you, the most beautiful surrounding you can see. It'll be that everywhere because all things will be made new. And there won't be trash all over the road because some people can't seem to just throw it away themselves. God is making all things new. And all the beauty that we see on earth, though it is wonderful and glorious, is just a pale reflection of what it will be in the final resurrection. It's better than we can dream. And these are the words from God himself, from the God on the throne. And he who is seated on the throne, the God of the cosmos, the creator, the sustainer, Yahweh. He, I could spend 40 minutes just saying his titles. And we still would get a bare glimpse of his greatness. That God says we can trust him. He says these words are trustworthy and true. 
We have the sovereign king of the universe telling you this is what the final resurrection will be like. And you can trust me. This is one of my favorite things about the Bible is that it is a trustworthy book, that every word in it is true, that God does not lie. God does not deceive. He does not exaggerate. He doesn't make things up. We can trust His Word. When He makes a promise to us, we can know that it will come to pass. This is not a child's utopia. This resurrection is true, and we can bet our lives on it. I know that I have. His words are trustworthy and true. Number three, we see that this resurrection is available to everyone, everywhere. If you're taking notes, this resurrection is available to everyone, everywhere. I want to start and focus on the first part here of verse 6. It says, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Without payment. But let's start on who gets this? The thirsty. Anyone who is thirsty can come. Think of Jesus with the woman at the well who asked for water and he says, well, I can give you the water of everlasting life. This is the same water that God is speaking of. And who is it available to? It's available to all of us. The resurrection is available to the thirsty, to those who long for it, to those who know that they need it, to those who know that their hope isn't in people, isn't in things, that their only hope can be found in Jesus. That their only hope, those who know and who thirst and who long for resurrection and know that the only place they can find it is in the person of Christ. That's who gets it. Those who know that their hope isn't in themselves and this resurrection is free. It is without payment. There's not an admissions price. There's not a sign that says you must be this tall to get resurrection. You must have this much money. It's available to all without price. This isn't just a sales technique where God tells us how amazing it is and then, okay, here's the catch. You ever been fooled by something like that? Or something sounded too good to be true and it definitely was and then you felt dumb afterwards? I know I felt that plenty of times, but one that sticks with me very often is years ago. Marie and I were down hanging out in San Antonio on the Riverwalk and having a you know, wonderful time. And, you know, we got fooled and sucked into this thing where somebody started talking and I'm, you know, I'm introverted and reserved, so I don't like being mean to people, even if I wish they'd shut up and leave me alone. I'll just sit and listen to them talk for too long. And so that, there I am, I'm doing that. And then this guy starts telling me, oh, well, here, you're here, we'll give you this gift card. You just got to go to this thing over here. And okay, well, I like gift cards. That sounds good. Seems a little too good to be true. Well, it was. And so there we are, sucked and sitting into some timeshare presentation thing, and I'm just feeling like an idiot because what am I doing? Okay, this isn't like that. God is not fooling us. 
He's not telling us about it and then saying, well, you know, only half of you are good enough to get in there. What he says is this is available to all who are thirsty, can come and drink at the fountain. There's no payment for resurrection. You don't have to be so holy before you can get it. This is not for the spiritually elite. This isn't for everyone else in the room except for you. This is available for you. There's not a to-do list. You don't have to put so much money in that offering box in the back before we'll give it to you. This is available to everyone, everywhere. Why? Because it's already been paid for. And the resurrection has been paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Because our sins demand a payment. The penalty for sin is death. And we know you cannot dwell in the presence of God unless something has dealt with your sin. And we can't deal with it. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to make ourselves holy. That we need someone to help us. Eternal life isn't free, but it has been paid for already. And so there is no payment required of you and of me. Because of the blood of Jesus, because of His death on the cross, the resurrection is available to everyone, everywhere. Have you ever been dreaming of buying something that you couldn't afford? Maybe you're watching HGTV or one of those shows where people are looking at these houses for their third home and the size of it just blows you away. And you just start dreaming, well, what would it be like if I... Maybe I don't even want the home. I just want that kind of money and then I'll do something smarter with it than what they're doing. Maybe, you're, you know, you're shopping online or looking at that website again on something you, you really want. For me, one of those things was being able to, to go overseas. You know, people went on high school trips in my high school to Europe all the time and, and things like that. But, you know, growing up as a pastor's kid, we didn't really have a lot of money growing up. So I definitely wasn't going to Europe anytime soon. And so I always believed that was something that was outside of my reach. That's for other people born in other circumstances at other places, but not me. But one year, my father-in-law made, made an offer because he was, his mother was from Germany. They had family there. And so they offered that they would, you know, pay for everything on our trip if we would just save up enough money to pay for the plane tickets. And so, you know, we saved and Brie worked really hard. She's the main reason we were able to do that. And so we got to go to Germany and be overseas. Why? Not because we saved and made lots of money, but because someone else made it possible. Because my father-in-law really paid for everything to make it happen. Jesus and the resurrection is even better than that. He shows up when, as soon as you hear about the final resurrection, what this is, and think, that sounds good. I don't know if I can do that. And Jesus is here saying, I'll pay for everything. You don't need to save. You don't need to read the Bible X amount of times. You don't need to believe, get all of your theology perfect. You don't need to go to seminary. He says, I've already paid the bill. You just need to accept it. His blood and the payment of Jesus is what allows us to experience this. And we all need to be reminded of that. 
Verse 7 speaks about the one who conquers. And well, what does that mean? It can make us go, well, I thought this was free. The one who conquers, verse 7, will have this heritage, and he will, I will be his God, and he will be my son. There's Jan's translation also just said, my people, which is good. It, it's not meant to just be, sorry, this is only for men, but he's saying son, because in their culture, in their context, only sons get the inheritance. What Jesus wants us to see, this isn't just for sons, but all of us get everything in Jesus. And the conquering, it's a reference to perseverance. It's a reference not to somebody who has the best faith ever, and that's what this is, but it's saying, okay, are you really thirsty? Those who really have put their hope and their faith in Jesus are going to hold on to Him because it really is their only hope. And the conquering isn't really about their own ability but just about their thirst and their hope. And saying, are, are they willing to embrace Jesus, not just for a little bit, but when it gets hard, they'll go somewhere else. But are you going to embrace and hold on to Jesus and hold on to hope for the final resurrection until your dying breath? Because it's the only place you can go. To those who do that, that is conquering. Those who are thirsty in hope. The tragedy is that while the resurrection is available to everyone, not everybody gets it. We have a list in verse 8. It ends kind of on a downer of those who do not receive the final resurrection. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Okay, that is all of us in this room. Every single one. If you think you're not on here, come, come meet me. We'll, we'll talk. I'll help find you. You're on many of these. All of these, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is a verse that should scare us. This is a verse, I, I love the Bible because it's trustworthy and true. There are plenty of things in here I don't like. I wish it was different, but it's not. Yes, the resurrection is available to everyone, but not everyone wants it. And this description of hell should scare us. It's, it's the fire that burns with fire and sulfur, and it's the second death. There's a second life in the resurrection, but there's also a second death. And you, you'll notice we're, we're running long, and I've chosen to spend most of my time speaking about the wonders and the beauty of the final resurrection instead of the horror and terror of the second death intentionally. Not because I am embarrassed of these verses, because I'm not. And not because they're not true, because they are. But the reason we embrace Jesus should not be because of fear of what would come without it, but because of the, the wonder and the beauty of who Jesus is and what He offers. If this is what the final resurrection is, why would you want anything else? Why? So I... I'd rather spend my time talking mostly about the loveliness and the glory and the amazingness of Jesus than about what happens if not. But what we do see here is we see that the judgment of hell, this is what those people want. It is not saying that these people don't get the resurrection. It's for the good people. That's not it. But these people don't thirst for Jesus. They don't long for Jesus. They want their sin instead. 
They want something else instead. They, they see, they hear the beauty, they hear what Jesus offers, and they think, eh, no thanks, not for me. And so since they don't want Jesus, they don't get to live in a place where Jesus and God's presence will surround them all the time in every way like we will. So instead, they get what they want, which is a life without Jesus. And that life will be a second death in fire and sulfur. So there should be two responses for us, I think, based on this passage. First response is for those of us who are believers, we should be encouraged because the resurrection is ours. This is your future because you've put your hope and your faith in Jesus. And if you are holding on to Him and nothing else, this is what life will be like for all of us one day. A resurrection better than we could ever hope or dream. And this is what we look forward to at Easter. It's in part what we'll celebrate, and we celebrate not just today and not just next week, but we celebrate every single Sunday because Jesus has made it possible. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus because it also means that we too will be brought back to life. For those of you who are unbelievers this morning, I want you to see that this resurrection is available to you. It's not just available to those of us who are good. It's available to everyone everywhere. Not just the most holy, not just the most awesome. You may have a horrible past. You may have struggled with addiction and pain. You may have seen, had sin in your past that makes you feel as if God is way too far from you. But this resurrection is available to anyone everywhere. You just have to thirst for it to come throw yourselves at the feet of Jesus and beg for His mercy and you will find it because it's already been paid for. I hope that everyone in this room, that we will all get to experience the new heavens and the new earth together. We will all get an opportunity to be there and as long as there is breath in our lungs, it is not too late to embrace Jesus. But the only way to the final resurrection is through Jesus. There is no other path. It is available to everyone everywhere, but there is only one door, and that is through Christ. And that's it. It is through the resurrected Jesus who paid the penalty for our sins and who made a way so that none of us have to pay anything to get in. We just have to place our faith in Jesus. So this morning we've talked about how Jesus' resurrection really points us towards this resurrection. So as you think and you're celebrating Easter this week and preparing as we enter in Holy Week that starts today, remember that as well. Remember where our hope is. And this final resurrection is better than we could ever possibly dream. So dream. Place your hope in it. And this resurrection is available to everyone, everywhere. And that includes you. All of us. So for believers, be encouraged. For unbelievers, please, I beg you, embrace Jesus. Because this is what he offers. 
but for now as we wait, as all of us are waiting and longing for the resurrection, for the final resurrection that Jesus brings. The, the verse that we've been reading for our benediction from Romans, I, I can't help but think of it. As we serve a God of hope, and so we should abound in hope. Why? We don't hope that, not because our hope is in some person down here on earth or in some thing, or that maybe life somehow will get better or things will work out in our lives the way we want, but we can hope because we know how the story ends. We can have hope because the final resurrection will be better than we can ever possibly dream, and that everyone who's put their faith in Jesus will get to be there. So have hope, beloved. I'm going to close us in prayer and invite our worship team to come up and lead us to respond in worship. Lord, I thank you, God, that this resurrection is available to all of us, that this resurrection is not just some pipe dream that I made up, but Lord, that the, the new heavens and the new earth are, are greater than we could ever imagine. And Lord, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross to pay the, our penalty for sin so that we can participate and long and hope for it and know that it is coming for us. Lord, would you help us to put our hope in you? Would you help us to fix our eyes on the end? Would you help us to live our lives here and now waiting for that resurrection with hope? For those who are in this room or who are watching in another way, Lord, I pray that you would call them to yourself. Lord, would they, would you open their eyes and open their hearts? Would they see that this resurrection is available for them? Lord, would all of us here get to participate in your final resurrection? Not because of how great we are, but because of your incredible grace. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us? I'm so glad he lives, because it means we will too. Here's this benediction from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Abound in hope this week, beloved. You're dismissed.